my question is, can you earn a single kudo? Is this another case of they just are trying to hold on to the tail end of a, a dead language once it comes into English? Coming up on Word Matters, what English speakers do to and do with the words they borrow from Greek and Latin. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is a new podcast from Merriam-Webster, produced in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Neil Servan, Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. English is a mongrel that's built its word hoard by borrowing from hundreds of other languages. Some of the words it's adopted have easily and almost seamlessly settled into the lexicon, but others maintain characteristics of their origin languages. Until they don't. Here's editor Neil Servan with a look at kudo, a Greek borrowing that English eventually made fully its own. I wanted to talk today about kudos. Now, I don't mean I'm asking for kudos. <laughs> it's okay if you do. I would take them if you give them. <laughs> but I wanted to talk about this word kudos that we use for praise or, or fame that we get for an achievement. Kudos for a job well done. And I guess my question is, can you earn a single kudo? Why not? If you can earn many kudos, why can't you earn a single kudo? This question arises because kudos itself is not originally a plural noun. It is a Greek abstract noun. It follows like pathos, ethos, logos, which were all Greek, uh, Greek nouns that de describe these abstract concepts. And kudos fell into this same category. It was used to describe praise, just a positive response to something that someone else has done. So... But what has happened in English, English speakers see that S on the end of kudos, and they've interpreted this as a plural noun. And we have other plural nouns that we've used for things that we receive for a job well done. We talk about receiving accolades. We talk about oh, receiving yeah. awards. We talk about receiving honors. And so I think people interpret kudos in that same category. You can receive a single accolade. You can receive an award. So why can't you receive a single kudo? <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up pathos, which is similar, because I feel like we definitely wonder, can you do a single kudo? But pathos typically means, you know, it's a, an, an experience evoking pity or compassion. We don't think, well, is a patho evokes just a little bit of sympathy? There is no real <laughs> instance know? of being able to reduce that to there a single no unit. There is no of pathos, right? There's no single right. unit of pathos you right. can give. But we do think that there can be a singular kudo. Right. Well, and it's because it looks like a plural word. In English, words that end in S are plural, typically, especially if they're nouns. Mm -hmm. So this is a noun. It's fully understandable that someone would think that you could see kudos, and then well, you've got one kudo. And this does uh, appear in edited prose quite often. There's an article in Newsday 2018 by Jeff Williams talking about Louis Armstrong Stadium. Even got a kudo from Simona Halep, the number one seed who played the first match there on Monday. It's perfectly fluid. It's a perfect natural phrasing, a back formation that just makes sense and as a single act of acknowledgement or praise. And one of the things that probably helped this along was back in the 1920s, publications such as Time magazine would list things like honorary degrees and merits and have a whole section devoted 
to people who had kind of earned these things that deserve notification, things that deserve notice in the back of the magazine, a small section of the magazine, and it would be headlined, kudos conferred during the week, but then followed by kind of a bullet list. So your interpretation is that this is a plural, and then each of the following items on that list is a singular. Each it's, becomes it's a, a countable s- thing. A yeah. countable thing, sure. yeah. which then becomes each a singular kudo. And when was that, did you say? This was in the 1920s. Okay. Yeah. Which did- is when we when our earliest evidence of singular kudo dates to. I think our dictionary says... 1926, because we do enter kudo as a singular noun. As a singular noun. Dating to 1926. Meanwhile, kudos, the non-count noun, dates to 1831. Mm -hmm. And that's a category, by the way, you know, count, non-count. These are words that I learned when we prepared a dictionary for non-native speakers of English. Because most people who are native speakers of English, we don't think consciously of grammar. Any native speaker of any language doesn't think consciously of grammar. But the idea that in English we have some words like water or sand that are just sort of a group of things that are, are not countable. It's Often a some, substance. Sometimes yes. called yep. a mass noun. Like a mass it's noun, like right. a mass, yes. And if you look up kudos, for example, in our learner's dictionary, this dictionary that we did work on, the three of us worked on, we actually give it as a kind of grammatical piece of information because if you're learning a language, you need to know, does it take a singular or a plural verb? And we need to know if it's a non-count noun. And, and so this is, in that sense, an important grammatical point as well. Right. When it comes with plural nouns and singular nouns and singular nouns that have been derived from these nouns that have been interpreted as plural, mm-hmm. there's a history of other instances of this happening. The word cherry, we have a regular plural for this. We say cherry or cherries, but the French noun was cherise. That is what the term used for a single cherry. We heard this, adopted it into English, but we heard it as a plural. So we heard it as like the bunch of fruit would be cherries. From and then there, we lopped off the S. We lopped off the S, and a single one would be a cherry. So that's reanalysis of a kind. That's right. Yeah. And this is, that was actually, it's adopted during the period of Middle English. So yes. this is after the Norman invasion, all these French speakers have come to England with their language, and Confusing they are imposing us. it on all the English speakers. And the English speakers were not reading it. They were hearing it. They were hearing it. That's right. So they didn't know what this word looked like, but they heard that it was cherries or cherries. Did anybody uh, complain or did when did Eustace <laughs> Guide start complaining about the singular kudo? There has not been much complaint because wow. people are just so comfortable with it. I think there are originalists who might be wishing the uh, English would adhere to the Greek origin. Well, there's always like that pedantic point that, that you know, pedant- in Greek, it's actually... Right. Just, and, like, just like people want English to remain like Latin. And think of the Latin words like biceps and triceps, which also look plural, they look but plural. are singular. And homo sapiens. Oh, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, which is the scientific name for mm. the human person. If we use it to mean a person, then we want to say homo sapien. Right, 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 right. And that right. we are all somehow plural homo sapiens. We're very familiar with people complaining about words that have come in from the French and stuff like that. But maybe from the Greek, it gets a pass unless you're really educated and pedantic. You would and, have to absolutely know right. and then have a reason for it not to be. Species is another one. Species yeah. is another. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was one of the few instances in which James Murray, the first editor-in-chief of the Oxford English Dictionary, kind of vented. He had a little editorial aside in the OED, and it was under the entry for 
pneumatic, he said it was absurd that we no longer pronounce the P in words <laughs> with P-N because that's how it would have been in Greek, I think. Of course, nobody says pneumatic. And, no, because um, right. that is like a weird letter right. combination. Right. But he wanted to preserve in the Greek in, into our language, which doesn't often happen. But a modern example that I really like and I've noticed lately is the noun Pilates. Oh, yes. Used for an exercise regimen named after the German-born man who created it. <laughs> so it's not a Greek word. It is just a name. His name happens to be Pilates. But because Pilates is about movements and other exercises like aerobics, mm-hmm. calisthenics mm-hmm. are kind of phrased in that same plural because it's about replication of movements, people have been interpreting Pilates as a plural and hmm. will sometimes say... I'm going to a Pilates class, or I'm doing this Pilates-like movement. So they take this name that was never singular to begin with. It was just a name and took a singular noun out of it, and it just kind of flows into their natural English this way. Yeah, it shows that the language has kind of its own force of gravity, that it's going to pull everything toward some kind of logic. The S as a plural marker is so powerful in Mm -hmm, English. mm -hmm. It's really very basic. It's one of the first inflections that children acquire when they're learning English. My two-year-old doesn't have a hard time with plural S, but she has a hard time with transitivity sometimes. So that plural S marker is very powerful. People often care about how it looks on the word. Its look on the word is how we determine the singular because our local baseball team is called the Boston Red Sox. That X is meant to phonetically represent C-K-S. And yet people often are hesitant to say that player is a Boston Red Sox. <laughs> it feels wrong. Maybe it's because it's a metonymy because it's not really socks running around on the field. Right, 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 right. But I like that idea, though. Yeah. But I think they hesitate. They kind of find a way around it. They will say Red Sox player. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you will hear a singular he has been a Red Sox for four years. Mm. It's hard to get that singular yeah. Red Sox and have it, it sound natural. Yeah, you got to yeah. go with Red Sox player. I yeah. think you do, right? Red Sox. Yeah. I've heard Red, yeah, Red Sox players, the, the, yeah. the, the most obvious way. But you way. could say he's a Yankee. That's right? easy to yeah. do yeah. because right. you think of Yankees as people. Yeah. It's a plural of the notion that each is a Yankee going right. out there. Going out there, yeah. Just like each is a Cub, each is a Dodger, each is a yeah, Pirate, yeah. each is a Bear. But you can't really do that with red socks. But, you know, Emily did point out how powerful the, the plural S marker is. Couldn't we just make the, the team name the plural S marker? I mean, if you really want to get they a little totally meta about it. Just call it that. Right? I mean, what is more powerful than a, than a plural S marker? If lexicographers were in charge right. of baseball if, team names. If we named baseball teams, we'd have the, the, would, the, the functional shifts and the plural S markers. It would yeah. change everything and things would just move more cleanly. Yeah. I expect we're going to have the funding for this uh, very yeah. soon. But would there be a designated hitter? You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll be back after this break with pronunciation conundrums from Latin. Word Matters is a production of Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for the Word of the Day, a brief look at the definition and history of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I'm Neil Servin. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. Welcome back to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. In the first half of this episode, we heard about Greek. Now we'll turn to Latin. Despite being a dead language, it's had no native speakers for probably 1,200 years, Latin is still actively making contributions to English, with the result being lots of Latin-y looking words that English speakers don't always know what to do with. Especially confusing can be the letters A-E, which say one thing in algae, but possibly another thing in the plural of larva. Next up, editor Emily Brewster. Hey, that's me. We'll try to figure out what's going on with these confusing Latin-derived terms. I have an elementary school-age child who's learning about insects, and he came home talking about the little appendages on the top of an insect's head. Mm. They are called... Stickers. (laughs) Antennae? Antennae, okay. Antennae. Antennae. I'm sticking with stick ears. (laughs) (laughs) Other options would be antennas. Officially, in our dictionaries, the word is antennae. The word, of course, is spelled A-N-T-E-N-N-A-E. It's a Latin word. The singular is with just the A, and as a Latin noun, it pluralizes with this E. But this A-E plural signifier appears in a number of English words, and it has different pronunciations depending on what the word is. So in our dictionaries, as I said, it's for antenna, it's antennae. Which is also what it is in algae. Algae. Right? Algae. That's, yeah. algae. You don't yep. say algae. Right. But another one that also confuses people is alum. Yeah. Alumnae. Alumnae, alumni, alumni. alumni. Even alums. Right. That helps. Yeah. And actually with the alums, two pronunciations are sanctioned by the dictionary, alumni and alumni. Anyway, because I, of this, I was thinking about the plural being antennae and not antennae, and then I was thinking about all these other words, so I did a little digging into, is there a system in English for why some A-E plurals are pronounced E and some are pronounced I, and just what is up with that? So it turns out that the A-E comes from a Latin diphthong, and of course a diphthong is a sound that is articulated in two different parts of the mouth, so it starts out with your mouth is in one position and then it kind of slides to another position Like in uh, the vowel sound ow, you know, in Mm -hmm. E, your mouth stays really in the same position with ow. It goes from an ah to an ooh kind of a sound. So it started out in Latin being a diphthong that was pronounced, and this is what linguists think because we don't actually know what the very, very dead native Latin speakers were speaking originally. But we believe that it was pronounced I, like in my. 
So in that case, it would be antennae. Uh -huh. But like English, Latin changed over the course of the many years that it was spoken, and it shifted from being pronounced I to being pronounced E. Hmm. So at some point... The Latin speakers had to shift, just as we all, over the history of the English language, have changed our pronunciation of things. The A-E started to be pronounced with E. And that is why the long E exists in a bunch of Latin-derived English words like algae, Caesar, aquavitae, and also antennae. Yes. But this older I pronunciation stuck around, and our pronunciation editor at Merriam-Webster thought that it was likely because people who formally studied Latin were taught the original Latin pronunciation. Mm. And so that oh. hung on. So classical Latin versus whatever the developed language was. And interesting that E sound is where it lands in the Romance languages too, That's which right. must be a parallel or actually the same. Right, but these Latin purists then wanted to pronounce it the original way that back. it had been pronounced in Latin, even though they were studying it as a dead language. The Latinists are always screwing things up for the rest of us, I have to say. I mean, there are all these words in English that we borrow from other languages, and typically when a word comes into English from another language, we drop that original language's case endings or way of pluralizing it. It becomes an English word with English endings. Except that the Latinists really kind of still push, it's not the Latinists' fault, but when we get words from Latin, a lot of times we get this weird kind of vestigial case ending or pluralization. Like there are still people who insist that stadium is properly mm -hmm. pluralized as stadia, even though nobody really says stadia. Same thing with data, datum, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so is this another case of they just are trying to hold on to the tail end of a, a dead language once it comes into English? Or does it make sense? I bet it's more of a Renaissance phenomenon where the learned language was Latin and it was therefore still an active language for speakers of English. Do you know uh -huh. what I'm saying? In mm -hmm. other words, they were using Latin professionally and in their writing. People like Newton and Descartes, they were writing in Latin, but in the modern era. They were speaking languages that we would completely easily understand as far as English and French goes. But their Latin was the scholarly shared language and that they, I assume, then would drop that into their modern languages, not as a holdover of classical period, but as a kind of new Latin or scientific Latin from the modern period. It's interesting that their publications and stuff would be in Latin, but then that would affect that their pronunciation because yes. unless they're reading the documents aloud you know, <laughs> to each right. other... How do they even have a pronunciation at that point? Well, you it's have not... academia. You yeah. have people sitting in a lecture hall listening to a lecture on Descartes. Right. And there actually is a small population of people then who would be hearing Latin. Several hundred years ago, they were still writing grammars of English in Latin. But this is not ecclesiastical Latin because, of course, these people were often hearing it in church every week. And that was a different sound for a lot of these words. The church Latin kind of stayed in one place, and the scientific Latin was slightly right. different. So there are these elements of a kind of living Latin. The Second Vatican Council was only in the 1960s. So my parents heard the Mass in Latin every week. Ammon is exactly right. These inflections from borrowed words in almost any other case would be anglicized, except for Latin and some Greek, right? There are some of these Greek terms. Recently, we had a word of the day, the word Luftmensch, and the plural of Luftmensch is Luftmenschen, which is the German plural of the word. Oh, yes. The plural of the English word. This is an English borrowing from German, but the English plural is Luftmenschen. 
It's the German plural. But that kind of proves the opposite point, which is rather than being very old, like the Latin terms, it's clearly a modern borrowing. It's clearly very new to English. Luftmensch. Yeah. yeah right. And so we're honoring this modern German inflection, partly because the word is so transparently German That's right. that you're going to emphasize its Germanness by virtue of using it at all. And so interestingly that our research has indicated that people emphasize it in this way by inflecting it that way. It's funny. French is kind of immune to this because most of the uh, plurals are silent in French. When you add an S, you actually usually don't hear it. And so maybe that's an interesting case, too, that these are easily pronounced and easily heard, so therefore easily distinguished by a listener. My question to you has to do with gender also, with alumni, alumni. There is an issue of former students of a university who are women are pronounced how? <laughs> Alum. Well, a single woman is an alumna. Alumna. Right. And the plural of that is alumni or alumni. A number of these English words that end in the A-E Latin plural, both pronunciations are fully accepted. And then a man, of course, is an alumnus. Mm -hmm. And the plural is, is alumni. With an I. So the alumni pronunciation, for example, could emphasize the distinction between a group of women who are graduates as opposed to a group of men, alumni, alumni. It's interesting and, and a little bit complicated. It's very complicated. And actually, alumni has come to be used for any group of graduates. The male plural yes. in English has become generalized. And do you think we're also seeing alums just kind of much oh, as yeah. A, yeah, I'm seeing it a lot more probably yeah. is just alum as a word on its own is becoming it, more acceptable. And so I, I'm not sure if it's necessarily a way to avoid the plural so much as just that alum feels like a natural clipping that sure. people have just come to accept. Sure. It's a pluralized clip. It was cut down and then people are just taking it as on its own. One of the reasons, at least that I'm seeing it a lot, is because I see people complaining about it a lot. It kind of beefs up its presence, but it also, I think, is indicative of the fact that people don't complain about things that aren't being used. By virtue of the fact that we're seeing a lot of complaints, I think it means that it's actually gaining a foothold. Yeah. And if you're even slightly unsure, as I might be, then it's a safer bet for an English speaker to just pluralize it like an English word. Better absolutely. to be groundbreaking than wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, the clipped form is absolutely safer than sure. stopping yourself and thinking, okay, it's alumna, alumni, or is that alumni? But using alum is just much safer ground for any speaker who cares about these things. And really what it does, it presupposes that you have a knowledge of Latin grammar, which right. was pretty solid until mid-20th century. If you had gone to a university long enough to graduate, you would know which inflection to use. Which among us studied Latin formally in school? I studied it in high school. We had about five years of it. Yeah, I did it in high school as well, and then after high school for a couple of years. I had a little in high school and a little in college, too. Wow, I had none in high school or college. All the Latin that I know I have learned while being a lexicographer and just studying the English language. I studied German, and my school offered German, French, and Spanish. I've learned a lot more Latin since working with languages and looking at etymologies. So reading etymologies, I find, has actually much increased my Latin ability. But then again, keep in mind that means that you don't really need to know grammar. You're really just looking at the words themselves in their kind of isolated state. We learned Latin mostly as kind of a, a gateway to the French or Spanish classes that we knew we would be taking. Whoa. And this was at a public school. We didn't really have to do a lot of pronouncing at the time. It was a lot of it was just writing sentences on paper. And so if we tried to pronounce in class, we were usually butchering the pronunciation. <laughs> Your question at the beginning here, you asked how we would pronounce the plural of antenna. I said antennae, which is like the very wrong answer, apparently. <laughs> Nobody says that. But I guess I'm going by, A, the fact that antennae is not a word I pronounce 
in my lifetime often anyway. I don't talk about insects and anatomy <laughs> all that much. But I suspect that is a word that I am going to be inclined to pronounce as a C. The A-E ending I might see in a word like that has nothing to do with Latin, like reggae, or the name May, M-A-E, I would think long A. I'm mm-hmm. going with that. So it's kind of interesting that perhaps with that being a scientific term, that's a term that I'm really going to be more inclined just to pronounce as I see because I'm finding it in writing and I'm not going to be having conversations about insects that often. <laughs> yeah, there's no shame in anglicizing a pronunciation that you see as an English speaker. Right. You know, and this word, as fewer and fewer people study Latin formally, these may change. The pronunciations of these Latinate terms may change in English. And also, of course, the TV antenna pluralizes with an S. Antennas. Antennas. Yeah. As a non- biology term, basically. So the context kind of determines that or predetermines it. And it also shows that we're not talking about science here, or it is a different kind of science. It's a different kind of science. Sure. And then there's the other terms, like the plural of octopus, which famously has three different ones, an English one, a Latin one, and a Greek one. And there must be a whole category of words that fall into that. You know, they well, have multiple. Well, octopus is a really strange one because it was given this Latin plural, even though it's a Greek word. Oh, okay. So the Greek plural would be octopodes, uh-huh, which like the is antipodes. used in British English, but isn't really used in American English. No. And because people misunderstood it as being a Latin word, they gave a plural octopi. Octopi. But octopuses. Is a good sound English yeah. plural okay. of an English word comes from Greek. <laughs> really, that is the bottom line is if you're speaking English, you can inflect using English inflections. And that's pretty much always going to work. I mean, no one will misunderstand you and no one will criticize your Latin pronunciation <laughs> if you do it. Right. We're here speaking English. Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us on Apple Podcasts or send us an email at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by John Vosey and Adam Maid. For Neil Servan, Amon Shea, and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is a production of Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.